0: You're listening to the Common Grace Podcast, stories of common grace and common people for the common good. Who has Christ called us to be? Not just as individuals, but as the Church. Today we speak again with DeVita Foy Crabtree about the Empowered Church. DeVita shares her experience and expertise as we explore what an empowered Church can look like and the potential that the Church has to change lives. Welcome, DeVita Foy Crabtree, to the podcast. We're so glad to have you.
1: I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, George.
0: Let's jump right into it. You have been an advocate, a practitioner, and a leader in helping the church grasp the paradigm of the gathered and scattered church. That church isn't just a gathering that people come to on a Sunday, but we have to as leaders and pastors understand that Part of our job, a big part of our job is connecting Sunday to Monday, that the church is happening Monday through Saturday where people are in their their friendships, their neighborhoods, their professions, their jobs, their places of play, and that that is as much ministry as anything that happens on a Sunday morning. You've, again, been an advocate and practitioner of this. So, I want to talk about the Gathered and Scattered Church. You wrote a book called The Empowering Church, which I just really loved. I've en- I enjoyed you know learning from someone who's embraced this paradigm. There's not a lot of people doing it. And so, anyone I can learn from, I will, and I'm so grateful to. So, let me just start with this. Why do you think it's crucial to support and empower the church from Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday?
1: To me, the church is not the church unless it is witnessing in the midst of the world. If the church is only gathered on Sunday and everybody goes out feeling good, well, that's lovely. But if we're not transforming, if we're not the body of Christ living it out, if we're not out there transforming the world, well, it's nice and sweet, but it doesn't get us anywhere. Certainly doesn't get Christ anywhere. So I have a very high theology of the laity, and I believe strongly we should expect a lot more of the members and affiliates of our churches than we do. We don't do anybody the favor by saying, oh, just come, just come on Sunday. That's not what it is.
0: And when you say laity, you're talking about the the congregation, like people who would come in a lot of times there's like a separation between pastors who have you know, traditionally been known as clergy and then the congregation, which is traditionally laity. Right. You're right. saying the pastor's job is to support those people and help encourage them for their Monday through Saturday ministry out in the world.
1: Yeah. I really believe at heart that every local church needs to be providing a theological education and a ministerial education to all of the members of the church mm. to all of those who come to worship that every pastor is the professor and teacher and enabler of empower of the people and that pastors get better and better and better at doing what they do the more open they are to hearing the questions and the struggles of those who come to worship. I grew hugely when I started asking different questions and sort of how should we structure the church so we're most efficient? Or how do we make sure we have enough committee members to take care of the finances and so forth? And started asking the question of who are we supposed to be and what are we supposed to be doing? Fundamental question and who we are And what we're supposed to be doing is not about what occurs within the building or within the structure and context of worship.
0: You know, I've heard some pastors really say, hey, you know, if churches had to close during the pandemic, then they weren't being the church and they were being unfaithful to Jesus. What kind of problem would you have with that ecclesiologically? What do you think is wrong with that logic?
1: (laughs) I just think it's laughable because the church is the body of Christ in the midst of the world, it's almost as though that theological tenet that you and I as ordained leaders are set apart from the people of the church. I consider that a heresy. I know it's common language. It's how ordination is talked about. It's how clergy understand themselves. I completely disagree with that. I believe we are set in the midst of the body of Christ to empower all of the people to go out and be Christ ministers in the midst of the world. So this notion that somehow, because a virus comes along, and we can't gather, that the church is closed, or the church is not able to live its life, it just means that church needs to die.
0: (laughs) I love how you just say what you what you think and feel. I love how you just speak the truth. You know, the notion of the church only being centered on a building and on a preacher's gifting, I guess it kind of means that we're lucky that the Christians in the first, you know, century survived without the buildings and certain preachers preaching. <laughs> it's a miracle.
1: Well, yeah. It what's really a miracle is that the church has survived this long given it's election to be so clergy-centric. Whenever the church is clergy-centric, and I say this as an ordained person, I say this as a person who deeply values the work of clergy, but when the church is focused on the clergy, it is unfaithful. Period. Full stop. Mic drop.
0: Well said. Well said. So, why do you think it's so difficult for churches to have this paradigm to kind of get locked into like a, a Sunday centric, preaching centric model? It's not to say those aren't important. Those, you know, those are very important to the life of the church, but it's just one. That's one piece of a larger whole. So why is it so difficult for for churches to uh, embrace this paradigm?
1: Because life the way they're currently living it is easy. You know. Is a little parallel that's coming to my mind, and that is when I was when I was in parish ministry. I remember two parents coming to me and saying, "We have a question that our son asked us, and we don't know how to answer it." And the son had asked a question something like, "Why is it so hard to be a Catholic?" And I looked at the parents and I said, "I." I do not mean any harm to Roman Catholics by this, but I think it's easier to live where what you are to believe is dictated. And it is much more challenging to live according to your own working through of your understanding of the scripture and of the presence of Christ in your life. That's a big challenge. And that's a challenge that deserves One's whole life attention. It doesn't mean every day, you know, you're pondering the great questions of theology, but it means that in every instance where you're facing a challenge, you ask yourself, who am I to be in this moment? How am I a witness to the love of God in this moment? So I think the notion that this whole matter of Fixation on Sunday is the easy path. It's very easy to just, whether you do high liturgy or low liturgy, you know, no matter what the tradition is, I don't denigrate that those moments in our lives and that experience of worship. It is life-giving. But if it's only life-giving on Sunday morning and it's not giving life to your witness throughout the week, then there's something false
0: there. Mm. I love your distinction between the church telling people what to think versus teaching people how to think for themselves and walk for themselves. And then by extension, like the church learning how to walk out their faith in real time, like ethically at the, in the workplace, working real with real ethical issues and working through relational issues, psychological, like real life things that are happening in real time. So, it, it it gets away from that separation of like the spiritual and the secular and it's saying, right. hey, God is at work in the ordeal, not just the ideal of life. So, would you mind maybe, give us maybe some of the things that you learned and that you did that you think were really helpful in supporting and empowering your church, in particular, Colchester Federated Church is where you did a lot of this, I don't want to call it just experimentation, but you were piloting a lot. So, maybe give us a picture of things you did to support the church Monday through Saturday.
1: Probably the most important intervention in the years that I was there, and I was there 11 years, which was the longest anyone had stayed, any pastor had stayed for generations. I think probably was the formation of covenant groups where we had a, a, a dozen members of the church each year who devoted a Wednesday night um, every week to Covenant Group. And there we we talked together about their Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday lives, what the ethical and moral dilemmas were that they were facing, the sense of vocational choice, the possibility of a sense of calling in one's work. In the midst of all that, one of the things that we did was we would go to the scripture. We, meaning the associate minister and I, would take the scripture, and we would find a scripture that had to do with the world of work. And we would then rewrite the scripture in contemporary, in a contemporary, not contemporary version of scripture, but a contemporaneous story today. So, so the gleaning of the fields in Ruth. Became a homeless person who was uh, scavenging in the bins behind a grocery store and how the grocery manager handled that. Another one was a story of a a man on an assembly line in a factory and the pressure from above to speed up that assembly line, even though it meant that they weren't doing as good work. And what do you do? And that was related to Moses and the bricklayers. And by coming in the back door to scripture, coming in from their lives, instead of starting with the scripture, scripture became much more alive to them. One of the things I learned was that when I, as clergy, start with scripture, I'm not starting with their lives. If I start with their lives and then bring scripture into it, but genuinely start with their lives and struggle with that, to find where's a story that helps them make sense of their world. That was transformational for all of us.
0: And in that way, you kind of brought Monday through Saturday snapshots of real world issues into the Sunday morning to make scripture come alive.
1: Yes. And a matter of fact, for the for the clergy, one of the huge benefits was until we started doing this deep work of the connection between Sunday and Monday, I was standing in the pulpit preaching, but I did not have that sense of they're getting it. But once covenant, once we started the covenant groups, I knew I had people who were deeply engaged with what i was saying and what i was saying was deeply engaged with them because it grew directly out of our interaction another thing i did was i i shadowed members of the church in their in their work so i went with a mail carrier at 4:30 in the morning and stayed with him all day and watched his interactions and learned um, i did the same with a utility executive you know on various various people. That helped me immensely. I think it helped them too, to suddenly have a different view of their life work.
0: In in your book, you have this, I think, this great quote, and it's talking about when Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. There's this reality of, this, of the church being established like Jesus, that we're broken and given to the world. People like Henry Nowen have noted that And you say this, the you whom he speaks is plural, not singular. The time was coming in which his disciples would be scattered rather than gathered. And communion ministers to the scattered body as well as to the gathered body. Today we gather for worship and sacrament, then scatter for ministry, bonded by our shared communion. Maybe you could just share a few stories and maybe give a little bit more insight into that paradigm but maybe give us some stories where you you saw the scattered church really start to take shape.
1: Sure. Well, I think I've actually shared a couple of these with you before, but they're so poignant that I would, I would share them again. One is a story of John who worked at Pratt & Whitney, which makes jet engines. And it had, had just been a job for John. He was in his late 50s, mid to late 50s. All his life, it had just been a job. It was a way of supporting his family. And that was about it. He participated in our first covenant group. And I used the Myers-Briggs type indicator to help people understand themselves, but also help us understand our interaction as a group. Because extroverts and introverts interact very differently and sensates and so forth. And at the end of the first session where we dealt with this, John looked up. John was so taciturn. My name for him was Old Stoneface. <laughs> he used to sort of love it, and everybody else did too. But he rarely said anything. But when he did, you listened. And he looked up and he said, This is the problem at Pratt and Whitney. He said, They never, never pay any attention to who they put in their quality groups. They had quality teams. This was way back in the 80s. They had Q teams. They never pay any attention. And so my group is all introverts. We never have anything to say. And he said, I wanna take this to management. So I got him the materials, I gave it to him. He carried the materials to management. They accepted it. They loved it. And they, according to him, they started using it and everything changed in their queue teams because they began to get a mix of people. And then for John, there was this sense of ministry, this sense of, I can have an impact. I never thought I could have an impact. He began to see that when he left his station to go help somebody who was new and having trouble, even though he was forbidden from leaving his station, he would still go do it. He began to realize that that was ministry and his claim on life and on himself and on Christ was completely different after that little thing.
0: But, but it's little, maybe a little shift in paradigm, but it changes everything. People are realizing they're not stuck in their workplace. They're sent there. And right. I, I love this quote again from your book. This is like the mission statement from your church. Colchester Federated Church, this is your mission statement at the time, empowering members for ministry in workplace, home, church, and community. That's a beautiful statement. And it's a, for many people, that's a shift of understanding what ministry is. They think ministry is what they do on Sunday, or it's a nonprofit that's Christian or stated Christian values. They often don't see their work, you know, at Boeing or, you know, as an engineer or as a teacher or as a first responder or a nurse. They don't see that as ministry, but you're saying the church is supporting all of that they do as ministry. So maybe, maybe continue giving us a few stories of that paradigm shift for people.
1: Yeah, and I would say I would, I've always had to hold myself back from saying all that they do is ministry because there needs to be that intentionality. That claims it as ministry, and then the follow through that asks the integrity question. So, uh, uh, another good example is Gary, who uh, was an engineer at a nuclear submarine place. And about six or seven months into Covenant Group, he came to me and said, "I, I have something I want to talk with Covenant Group about. And that was that he had begun to conclude that as a christian he could not participate in in contributing to weapons of war and destruction and so he brought it to covenant group we had an amazing series of conversations with him as he worked this through his asking that question stimulated others to begin to name the places where they struggled with whether their work allowed them really to claim it as ministry or not. And eventually, well, not, it didn't take too long. It was probably about three months. Gary decided to quit that position and take another position at Otis Elevator where things that were being made were benefiting society and were not destructive.
0: So you have a person who is brilliant. I mean, if he's working on nuclear, submarine design he's very intelligent has a great job but then the understanding of being the scattered church that this is ministry began connecting ethical questions exactly and then he brought that back to his spiritual community you call the covenant group or spiritual family they process it together and and that ended up informing a decision to move into using his gifts and baking elevators right i mean how do you process that You know, as transformation. I mean, to me, that's amazing. But why don't you share your perspective on that?
1: Gary was deeply, deeply faithful Christian, I think, throughout his life. And so to watch Gary come to that struggle, he had to know that Gary, in all his faithfulness, with all of his integrity, with all of my admiration for him, had not addressed that question until then was just amazing. And it made me realize that just because I see from the outside, an ethical or moral issue that I anticipate someone is dealing with, doesn't mean that they've been able to find the community in which they can ask a hard question and have a conversation. Because he upended his life. I mean, he just turned it off. (laughs) That was huge for him to do. I mean, another one was a woman named Laura, who was a nurse in a doctor's office and who went to work one day, this was the 80s, and learned that the doctor was um, firing another nurse in the office who worked in administration, not in patient care, because she had tested HIV positive. And Laura, out of as a result of all our conversations in Covenant Group, and she was really clear that that was what had done it. Went to the doctor that day and said, "If you are firing her, then I'm leaving too." I mean, these are these are basically average people making way beyond average decisions because they discovered that there was an expectation that they would live as the body of Christ in the midst of the world. You know, it makes the hair stand on the back of my neck still, and this is a whole lot of years later. <laughs> Just phenomenal witnesses,
0: you know. You know, um, I have so many more questions, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring our time to kind of a, a close, I guess, with these, these two questions. One is, why is this so difficult for people why is this so difficult, do you think, for the church to really get a hold of?
1: Well, because the church is clergy-centered. I love clergy. I, I have no animosity for clergy. I think our lives as clergy would be infinitely richer if we got this. But the church, not just the clergy, the clergy are not the ones who make this happen. I know tons of clergy with great intentionality moving to de clericalize the church who got thwarted at every turn i was lucky at colchester it was a church that was struggling to exist and i it knew it needed new life and it was willing it was willing to experiment it was willing to receive the innovation that i brought and it, that it sparked in me but i think it's god who is at the center of our lives not the church The church as the body of Christ living in the midst of the world is indeed central to our life. But when we make the institution, and I'm an institutionalist. I mean, I've given my whole life to institutions. But when we make the institution the center, there's heresy in that. And it's awfully easy. It's awfully easy to go that way. And it is not easy. I mean, I was, I was pure happenstance and the spirit guiding for this to happen in the midst of that church. You know, it was not brilliance that I brought. It wasn't brilliance that they brought. It was that spark together that is the body of Christ that made it work.
0: What would your hope be for the the church moving into the 21st century, you know, post-pandemic, If you woke up in five years, 10 years, what would you love to see?
1: Well, I think there's a real potential as a result of the pandemic that with the possible exception of the clergy that were referred to earlier who think that the church has been closed through the pandemic, I think this has been a tragic occurrence in the life of the world and in the life of the church it has offered tremendous potential. We have people who would never have worshiped online before, who are in their 80s, who are managing through technology to have a powerful worshiping experience, who have found intimacy where once they thought was a flat screen, and I think there's huge potential for new ways of reaching people with the gospel, for new ways of the church in the dominating world to discover the vitality of the church in the developing world through all of this, to for there to be a mutual innovation and creation of a new sense of global church. I talked to lots of UCC clergy all week long on Facebook and other places, and there are very few that haven't had international, global worshipers in their services through this pandemic. So the unity of the body of Christ now has huge potential that we only had a glimmer of before. And this notion, you know, I'm mainline church, so the notion that we've never done it that way before is very dominating and yet we've done things in this year like we've never done before and we've found new life in it so i think there's great possibilities what i wish that we could have been much more explicit during this time about blessing people and sending them forth with power into the midst of that world that is so hurting. Yeah, I would wish that.
0: <laughs> it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for the vision, your innovation, the generosity by which you you treat people, and then just the friendship. It's been really cool to to start a friendship with you. We as pastors have to support our church. Monday through Saturday, being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Thank you for your witness. Thank you for your leadership. Davida Foy Crabtree, we're so grateful for you.
1: Thank you. It's been a joy to be with
0: you. You've been listening to Common Grace, a Whitewater podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions about this episode or have suggestions for future topics, send an email to info at whitewaterchurch.org.